All right, looking forward to a great service tonight, and just God spoke to us this morning, really, this, uh, we had several adults in here raise their hand for salvation, and were dealt with for salvation, and so we're thankful for that, and we're thankful for the messages, and I hope that you're ready for God to speak to you tonight, and so Brother Emlyn's going to come, let's give him another warm welcome as he does. Thank you so much. Open your Bibles, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. This is a strong Sunday night crowd, and we thank the Lord for each of you that are here. I so appreciate the choir, great job they did, and the ladies' ensemble. And Brother Nick, God bless you, sir. That was such a blessing to hear his special just a moment ago. I call it what you have here, uh, Brother uh, Myers, I call it revival-friendly special music. It's just my conviction that we'll never have revival until we have music that matches our message. Music that matches our message. And uh, I appreciate what I call revival-friendly, special music. And Brother Nick, God bless you. Where are you? He slipped out for a cigarette. Where did he go? God bless you, Brother Nick. Great job that you do with the special music. As you're turning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number uh, 15, let me make mention that uh, on the book table there is this uh, soul winner's card, the only open door to heaven. How many remember, and I'm sure that we have some that would, would remember Dr. Carl Hatch. Would you raise your hand if you remember Dr. Carl Hatch? Dr. Hatch was a personal friend, one of my heroes, and Dr. Hatch had what was called a soul owner's card. And uh, Dr. Hatch would offer those in his meetings. Uh, Dr. Hatch has been in heaven now for several years. And so my uh, intimate friend, Dr. Shelton Smith, the editor of The Sword of the Lord, he and I went together on this project, and uh, this would be the son uh, of uh, the father of that soul winner's card that Dr. Hatch had, the only open door to heaven. And uh, it's off of John 10 and 9 where Jesus said, I'm the door, by me, if any man enter in, he should be saved. And uh, it's laminated, and whether you're a beginner soul winner or an advanced soul winner, you can take this card and use it and win people to Christ. Uh, it is interesting, Brother Myers, when you take the years that uh, Dr. Shelton Smith has been a preacher and a soul winner and the years that I've been a preacher and a soul winner and you combine them, you put them together, you have uh, over a hundred years of preaching and soul winning experience that went in to this little card. I know churches where all the altar workers uh, use them, all the soul winners use them. This uh, past summer, I received an uh, email from a camp director in the Northeast, and he asked for 250 of these soul, winner, soul winners' cards and, uh, and asked me if I would preach a sermon on soul winning on video. And so I did that. We sent them the soul winners' cards and uh, that video. And after they played that at that camp, they passed out 250 of these soul winners' cards to campers and to uh, camp staff. And within one hour, uh, two campers had used the card to win someone to Christ. And so again, if you're a beginner soul winner or an advanced soul winner, you can uh, be blessed by using it, laminate it, fits nicely in a gentleman's pocket, ladies' purse, those are on the book table. Also on the book table, there is the book, The Blessing and Blemish of Social Media. I was preaching in a conference in, uh, oh, Colorado Springs, Colorado, about two years ago, and the conference moderator said to me, we need someone to write a book from the position of a strong fundamentalist on social media. And he said, Dr. Hamlin, I believe you're the one that needs to do it. Well, I'm not looking for extra things to do. My plate is full, but I just sensed the Lord, uh, Brother Ross, in it when he said that, and that was on a Wednesday afternoon. And when I flew back to Detroit after closing that conference on Wednesday night from uh, uh, Colorado, uh, Denver, Colorado, back to Detroit, before I got back to Detroit, I pretty much had the rough draft for the book done. He had said to me, he has a publishing ministry, if you will get us the manuscript, this would have been the end of October, if you'll get the, us the manuscript the beginning of November, 
we will have it in your hand the beginning of December. Now, if you know anything about publishing books, that's a Herculean task. And uh, I did my part, they did their part, and uh, the 1st of December, it was out. Um, if you're on social media, whether you're on Facebook or Twitter, which is now X, uh, or uh, Instagram, or uh, Snapchat, and by the way, if, sir, you're on Instagram, you need to turn in your man card. <laughs> That's free, you don't have to pay for that one. Uh, if you're on Facebook, X, Instagram, Snapchat, I don't know, Lincoln, smoke signals, courier pigeons. If you've written graffiti on the wall of an abandoned building, you ought to get the blessing and blemish of social media. The first chapter is entitled, The Advisor. The Advisor. And if all you did was read that first chapter, put the book down, and never pick it up again, it'd be worth the price of the book. Because I deal in chapter one with the advisor that every believer has living inside of them, and that advisor is the Holy Spirit. If you lean upon the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you will never act a fool, can a brother get a witness, act a fool on social media. There's in it a chapter called uh, The uh, Advantages, The Alarm, The Advice. The chapter, The Advice, I just make 25 stand alone statements about social media. Things like uh, number four, make sure all of your social media platforms that you use are 100% drama free zone. <laughs> In other words, save the drama for your mama. Number 14, make sure that none of your posts have the fingerprint of the world on them. And by the way, with these standalone statements, I give Bible verses. Things like uh, number uh, oh, uh, 24, post everything with the thought in mind. God just might see this because he does in a Bible verse. There's even a chapter called the adult. If, if you can't do adult, you don't need to be on social media. If you can't do, can't do adult. I had uh, Brother Myers, a preacher, some time ago called me and he started the conversation by saying, Dr. Hamlin, I'm mad at you. I said, oh my, what are you mad about? He said, you unfriended me on Facebook. A preacher said that. I said, my brother, I am so sorry. When I get off this call, I will friend you and unfriend you one more time. The blessing and the blemish of social media. Our pastor, Dr. Wayne Halleck, who's not even on social media, had read the book, sent me a note and said, Dr. Hamlin, that book, The Blessing and Blemish of Social Media, ought to be in the home of every family in America. Our pastor said that about the book. And so it's on there, and I hope that you'll get it. As you're turning to Luke 15, one more thing, it's preaching time. This is our newest book, and it covers things like how to get ready to preach. Have you had your own private ordination service with the Lord? how preachers lose their personal effectiveness, when to be John the Baptist and when to be John the Beloved. No two people in the four Gospels are any more different, are any more distinct than John the Baptist and John the Beloved. You can't always be John the Baptist, but at the same time, you can't always be John the Beloved. And I deal with that balance, uh, Brother Esposito Jr., that you have to have as a child of God. You say, well, when am I to be John the Baptist and when am I to be John the Beloved? That's a great question. For $10, you can find out. Yes, you can. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 15. And I'll take but one verse of Scripture for our text, and it will be verse number 13. Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, and verse number 13. And I would invite you to stand with me as I read the Word of God. Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, and verse number 13, big statement, big statement, big statement. If I were to preach one message, if I could preach just one time and have the ear literally of all of the fundamental nation, I'm talking about every fundamental preacher. I'm talking about every fundamental church member. I'm talking about every fundamental child of God. If I have that opportunity to preach one message, it would be the message that I'm going to attempt to preach tonight. Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, 
and verse number 13. And not many days after, <coughs> the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. There's a verse in this, rather a phrase in this verse that I've underlined in my Bible. You may want to underscore in yours, and it's the phrase, and took his journey into a far country. Do you see it? There it is, and took his journey into a far country. For a few moments, I want to speak to you on the subject tonight, my prayer for a prodigal nation. <clears throat> Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this privilege to stand behind a sacred desk to preach the word of God. If and on my heart, I want to be a blessing. But the only way that I can be is if you hide me behind the cross and fill me with the Spirit. Place a hedge around this great church by the blood of Christ to keep the devil <coughs> and his demons from hindering this service. Save the sinner and stir the saint. Heavenly Father, for all that you'll do in our midst and even in our hearts tonight, we will be careful to give you all the praise and honor and glory. Bless and protect my precious family as I'm away. Give us fresh warm bread from the oven of heaven to feed from tonight. And Lord, I'd request Oh, how I would request that you'd clothe me in my calling. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. America is in 10,000 different ways. Spiritually, financially, and even physically, just like the spend-all sun. This country should be at the top of the prayer list of every blood-washed believer that truly loves the land of the free and the home of the brave. The recovery of any society is dependent upon the return of saints to revival supplication. My prayer for a prodigal nation. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 15, we find the retrieval of lost treasures. Now let me just say in passing that uh, maybe before you pillow your head tonight, you can go back to Luke chapter 15 and read carefully and prayerfully the 32 verses that make up this chapter underlining and underscoring every time you find the word lost because that is its topic, that is its theme, that is its truth, the retrieval of lost treasures. This chapter could be easily or effortlessly outlined like this, the lost sheep, verses one through seven, the lost silver or <coughs> the lost shekel, verses eight through 10, and the lost son, verses 11 through 32. It is well the physician Luke is dealing under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit with the lost son that a person learns how they can pray for a lewd and libertine people. Verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, and watch it now, and took his journey into a far country and took his journey into a far country, and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. The sister verse of Luke 15, uh, 13, is Psalm 80 and 19. 
And let me just say in passing that every verse in the Bible, oh, has what I call a sister verse. And often that sister verse will throw more light upon the verse that you're musing, meditating, or making a study of. Again, the sister verse of Luke 15, 13, is Psalm 80 and 19. Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. It was President Dwight D. Eisenhower that once said, "These there is a need, there is a need we all have in these days and times uh, that uh, needs or calls for some help which comes from outside of ourselves. Now, I would wonder and want to know, uh, Brother Myers, if President Eisenhower said that in 1953, I would wonder and wish to know what he would say in 2023. Never, and I trust that you'll never forget, America is exactly like the prodigal son in this hour, and it will take sincere and serious prayer to bring her back to the Father's house. Now, if you miss everything that I preach tonight, I pray that you would not miss that, and it even bears repeating, America, America, America uh, is just like uh, the prodigal son in this hour and it will take sincere and serious prayer to bring her back to the Father's house. Someone says, should we pray that God blesses America? Yes. Should we pray that God favors America? Yes. Should we pray that God benefits America? Again, the answer is yes. But I would strongly submit that what we need is somewhere at some time, someone to go a little bit further uh, and go a little bit deeper in their praying and pray that God would turn America back to himself. But quickly tonight, there are four things. Four things the believer must pray that God would turn America back from and they're all found here in Luke chapter 15. Let's quickly notice it tonight. My prayer for a prodigal nation. Number one, her real bankruptcy. Verse 14, and when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. A thing that the believer must pray that God would turn America back from is her real bankruptcy. In verse 14, the physician Luke tells us that the self-indulgent son had left his father and his father's farm with full pockets and foolish pride, which soon leads him to full-fledged poverty. Some of the saddest words for the Myers in this story are, and when he had spent all, because they served as six red lights that every prodigal son, oh my, and every prodigal society has to speed past to when the inheritance will run out, the platinum MasterCard will max out, and all the extravagant party goers will find out that there isn't even lint in the pockets of the prodigal. A person must not miss that the younger son's poverty came because of his parting. Verse 13, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. The songwriter provided the soundtrack for the scene in the scriptures when he penned, sin will take you farther than you want to go, slowly but wholly taking control. Sin uh, will leave you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. Friend, you and I need to be on our knees uh, that God would turn back this prodigal nation from her real bankruptcy. The Bible says in Matthew 6, uh, uh, 20, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt nor where thieves do not break through nor steal. Can I go ahead and preach tonight? For too long America has been woefully only making deposits into earth's temporal, temporal reserve and taking withdrawals from heaven's eternal reserve that now spiritually we're so flat broke 
If the prodigal son was in this service, he wouldn't even panhandle on Wall Street. Should we pray that God blesses America? Yes. Should we pray that God favors America? Yes. Should we pray that God benefits America? Yes. But somewhere, at some time, someone should pray a little bit deeper and pray a little bit further and pray that God would turn America back from her real bankruptcy. I know this will date me, Brother Myers, but back on April 21st, <coughs> 1986, Geraldo Rivera did a two-hour live television special called The Mystery of Al Capone's Vaults. I watched all 120 minutes. They founded these vaults, they found these vaults underneath the old Lexington Hotel 2135 South Michigan Avenue in Chicago, Illinois. Millions tuned in and we we're all able to watch as they busted open the mobster's secret cellar and all they discovered were a few empty champagne bottles in dirt. The millions of dollars they expected were nowhere to be found. If any citizen of this country right now were to stand on tippy toes and peek into heaven's bank account for America, they would find the same thing that they found in Al Capone's vaults, nothing but dirt and empty champagne bottles. Should we pray that God blesses America? Yes. Should we pray that God favors America? Yes. Should we pray that God benefits America? Yes. But somewhere, at some time, someone should pray a little bit further and pray a little bit deeper and pray that God would turn America back from her real bankruptcy. Number two, let me hasten. And I know I'm gonna get stuck here. Number two, her riveting blight. Verse 15, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. A thing that the believer must pray that God would turn America back from is her riveting blight. The word blight means something that destroys or causes damage. In verse 15, the physician Luke tells us that the self-indulgent son sinks to, oh my, such a sad place that he gets a job feeding swine. This is employment that would be both distasteful and disrespectful uh, to any Jew. They couldn't even pet a pig for he would have made them ritually unclean. Deuteronomy 14, 8, the parallel photo here of the prodigal son and the prodigal nation are undeniable. Friend, you and I, need to be on our knees that God would turn back this prodigal nation from her riveting blight. Now you take verse number 15 and you go to any city in America. You take verse number 15 and go to any town in America. You take verse number 15 and go to any community in America and you will find a perfect match. Should we pray that God blesses America? Yes. Should we pray that God favors America? Yes. Should we pray that God benefits America? Yes, but I would submit that someone somewhere at some time should pray a little bit deeper and pray a little bit further and pray that God would turn America back from her riveting blight. Now there's several obvious sins that are obliterating America. And it may shock you, stun you, and even surprise you, but first of all, the culture is depraved. Romans 1.28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. An obvious sin that's obliterated in America is the culture is depraved. When what was once hid in a back alley is now honored on Main Street as the grand marshal of the parade, that country is debauched. By Brother Myers, if they would have told you and I at our ordination, that there would come a day that we'd have to preach against the things that we preach against, we'd have never believed it. If they would have told us that had been preaching a while that there'd come a time that we would have to raise our voice 
and that we would have to point our finger holding an open Bible into the face of America saying that is an abomination, that is out of hell, that is uh, unrighteous. If there would have been someone that would have told us that at our ordination, we would have never believed it. And it only goes to prove that a sin that's obliterating America, an obvious sin, is the culture is depraved. Can I go ahead and preach? If you have a dollar for every gender that God has, you have two dollars. Any more than that is funny money. The culture is to pray. Oh, you say, Dr. Hamlin, I wouldn't say that if I were you. I know you wouldn't say it. That's why God had me say it, because he knew you wouldn't say it. Culture is depraved. Secondly, the citizenship is disrespected. Titus 3.1, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. An obvious sin that's obliterating America is the citizenship is disrespected. One of our nation's greatest problems is crime isn't illegal anymore. Now, if you do damage to someone's person, if you destroy someone's property, hear me and hear me well, you are not a protester, you're an anarchist. And an obvious sin that's obliterating America is the citizenship is disrespected. Thirdly, and I wanna hear a shout on this one like you shouted on the other ones, the church is dead. 2 Timothy 3, 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. An obvious sin that's obliterating America is the church is dead. Far too many churches need to change the sign uh, on the front of the property to a headstone. The church is dead. That's why when you hear this choir sing, you ought to say Amen. That's why when you hear that ladies ensemble sing, you need to say praise the Lord. That's why when Brother Nick sings, uh, you ought to say hallelujah. That's why uh, when Brother Myers preaches uh, and others that he brings in preach the Bible, you need to say that's right, that's good, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah. I mean, you just ought to absolutely uh, throw your hands in the air like you just don't care. And if you recognize that, you're listening to the wrong kind of music. But you ought to get excited say amen right there at the preaching of the word of God and an amen and a hallelujah and a glory will do more to keep this country alive than all the dead religion in the world put together. I was preaching recently, Brother Myers, in a conference and a preacher was visiting the meeting, not the preacher I was preaching for, but another preacher was visiting the meeting and during the song service, we, we had a fellow stand up and shout. And uh, by the way, it doesn't bother me how loud you shout, how, how you jump, how far you run, just as long as you speak in English while you're doing it. <laughs> and during this service that night, Brother Snyder, a preacher got up and he shouted. And a visiting preacher came to the book table after the service. And I know I don't have to say this here. I know I don't have to say it. But we don't argue at the book table, we buy books at the book table. And whenever anybody wants to argue at the book table, congratulations, you just bought everything on the book table. But he came to the book table and he said, he said, Dr. Hamlin, I can't believe that, that when that fella got up and shouted, you didn't sit him down. I said, sir, I didn't stand him up. And if you want to help this country, if you want to help America, if you want to help the land of the free and the home of the brave, I promise you, dead, cold, indifferent, religion won't do it, but being excited and being fired up and being elated, man, that'll do more for this country than you can even imagine. Oh, that every single individual that was in this service and watching by way of internet would realize that the obvious sins that are obliterating America is of the culture, is depraved. The citizenship is disrespected. The church is dead. Can I go ahead and preach? There are some churches that are so dead, if the Holy Ghost ever did show up, 
the head usher would have to give him a first time visitor's card. There are some churches that are so dead that there's not, uh, Brother Gary, enough Holy Ghost function in a single service to fuel an ant's moped to make one lap around a Cheerio. That's better than you're letting on. The church is dead. Oh, dear friend, you and I should be praying that God would bless America. Yes, God would favor America. Yes, God would benefit America. Yes, but at the same time, someone somewhere at some time ought to pray that God would turn America back from her riveting blight. The Octavius was a legendary 18th century ghost ship. According to the hair-raising story, uh, the one, or rather the three, the three-mast schooner was found west of Greenland by the whaler ship Herald on 11 October 1775. Boarded as derelict, the five-man boarding party found the entire crew of 28 below deck dead, frozen, and almost, almost perfectly preserved. Pardon me, this country doesn't stand a chance when there's corpse-like churches like the Octavius all across the land. Oh, should we pray that God blesses America? Yes. Should we pray that God favors America? Yes. Should we pray that God benefits America? Yes. But somewhere at some time, someone ought to pray that God would turn America back from her riveting blight. Number three, please look at it. <clears throat> Her revolting buffet. Verse 16, and would fain have filled his belly with the hus that the swine did eat, a thing that the believer must pray that God would turn America back from is her revolting buffet. In verse 16, the physician Luke tells us that the self-indulgent son sadly wanted and even wished he could have had supper with the swine, which would have been slop stew. A person has to almost hold their nose when pondering this word picture. Now let me go ahead if I can and chase a rabbit for a moment. The old timers, uh, Brother Snyder, used to preach that when a Christian gets on the edge or gets on the cusp or a Christian gets right on the brink of backsliding, the old timers used to preach that they have the stare of the far country in their eyes. And it just might be that there's someone that's in this winter revival meeting tonight. Oh, I know you sing in the choir. I know that you sing in the ladies' ensemble. I know you provide the special music. I know that you're on church staff. I know that you're in the house of God every time the doors open. But like the old timers used to say, you've got that stare, you've got that look, you've got that gaze of the far country. If I could just get you, oh my, from verse number 16 to look at verse number, you see, you're in 13. And if I could get you from 13 to 16, from 13 to 16, if I could get you from verse 13 to verse number 16, you would find your way at an altar tonight and get right with God. You may not be in the far country. You may not be there yet, but you have that gaze. You have that look. You have that stare. And if I could just get you, oh my, from verse number 13 to verse number 16, you'd find your way at an altar. Friend, you and I need to be on our knees that God would turn back this prodigal nation from her revolting buffet every 24 hours of every seven days in a week on the fanciest platters ever witnessed by the eyes of man. America uh, is suited up as they're served up, served up the raw sewage of the world, the flesh and the devil. And it's so stomach wrenching, it would make what the prodigal son had in the far country look like a, a 12 of course, gourmet meal. Hey, let me tell you something tonight. You better get off the edge. You better get off the cusp. You better get off the brink because there'll be a verse 16 in your life if there's a verse 13. A revolting buffet. 
By the way, I hope you appreciated that spin and jump. I hope you appreciated it. That's three trips to the chiropractor. I hope you appreciated it. And then number four, and last of all, number not only number one, her real bankruptcy, and number two, her riveting blight, and number three, her revolting buffet, but number four, and last of all tonight, her rock bottom. Verse 17, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough in despair and I perish with hunger, a thing that the believer must pray that God would turn America back from is her rock bottom. In verse 17, the physician Luke tells us that the self-indulgent son finally becomes the individual that is sorry for strange stubbornness and sin. Alexander McLaren once wrote about this spot in the scriptures, he the prodigal remembers the bountiful housekeeping at home as starving men dream of feasts and he thinks of himself with a kind of pity and amazement. Newsflash, rock bottom isn't a bad thing, but a good thing because it brings uh, Brother Nick, the prodigal son, to a rebound. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. Don't miss this, a hog pen uh, was the best friend to a strained son, just like a natural disaster, a stalled economy, an unprovoked war, or crooked as a barrel of fish hook politicians can be to a strained society if it gets their undivided attention. Friend, you and I um, need to be on our knees that God would turn back this prodigal nation from her rock bottom. The Bible says in Jeremiah 24, 7, and I will give them a heart to know me that I'm the Lord and they should be my people and I will be their God for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. Show me either a Christian or even a country that has made a considerable comeback and I'll show you a Christian or a country that was on somebody's prayer list. Would you think with me for a moment how many in this service tonight know that someone prayed for you before you got saved? How many in this service would raise their hand and say, preacher, I know that it was a parent. I know that it was a preacher. I know that it was a, a, a precious child of God that held me up in prayer before I got saved. I know that I was on somebody's prayer list before I came to Christ. Why, that was my case. And if that, if that was your case as well, would you raise your hand to identify main floor, balcony, balcony main floor, that somebody prayed with you. Now stay with me and think about this. If there was power, oh my, to see us come to Christ because somebody prayed, then would you not agree that there's still power, there's still power there's still power in prayer to pray for a country and bring her back to God. I refuse to give up hope on this country. I refuse. Now I'm absolutely as disgusted and as displeased and that's just a, a, a real nice way of saying beyond fed up with the poser, the squatter, in the Oval Office. And while I'm on that, let me get on this. If you haven't by now figured out that Anthony Fauci was a political hack, you probably think wrestling is real too. <laughs> Whoop goes right there. I, like you, am disgusted. I, like you, am displeased. But I, I wonder, Brother Myers, if we had to pray for this country five times before we ever posted one negative thing about the current administration, I wonder what would happen in this country. Anybody can complain. Don't buy your head. We're nowhere near closing in prayer time. Don't buy your head. Anybody can post something on social media. Anybody 
can say something negative, but, but I wonder what would happen if you and I got serious. I wonder what would happen if you and I got sincere and began to bombard the throne of grace with heartfelt petitions. I refuse to give up on America as long as God is on his throne. The Bible is true and prayer changes things. I refuse to give up on America. In fact, I would go so far to say I don't care if Joseph Stalin was in the Oval Office. God's people on their knees in prayer can turn this thing around. Should we pray that God blesses America, please? Should we pray that God favors America, please? Should we pray that God benefits America, please? But I'm here to say tonight uh, and to submit that somewhere at some time, someone ought to go a little bit further and ought to go a little bit deeper in their praying and pray that God would turn America back from her rock bottom. If America... It's not at rock bottom. I don't know what rock bottom is. If America, Brother Myers, is not at rock bottom, I dare say we could whisper and rock bottom could hear us. If America is not at rock bottom, then I would suggest uh, that we share the same uh, area code uh, and, uh, <coughs> and zip code with rock bottom. Look at the text, Luke 15. And 13, and took his journey into a far country. Luke 15, 13, and took his journey into a far country. I, I know, Brother Myers, I, I know that this is dealing with the prodigal son. I know that. But at the same time, it resembles a prodigal society. And I wonder what would happen in America if God's people really prayed for this country. Since preaching this message, Brother Esposito Jr., I've always had a burden for America. You can't be in evangelism for 44 years without having a burden for America. But since preaching this message in my meetings, I can't, I can't pass an American flag whether I'm going down the highway, whether I'm walking to my gate in an airport, I, I can't see an American flag without in my heart, without even thinking about it, saying, oh God, bring her back. Oh God, bring her back. Oh God, bring her back. If you have children and you have grandchildren, you may not want this country to come back, but you should want it to come back for your children and you should want it to come back for your grandchildren. And the only thing that's gonna, hey, we're in such a mess tonight that it's gonna take more than a ballot box. It's got to be the prayer closet. It's got to be the prayer closet. It's got to be the prayer closet that overshadows the ballot box if we're gonna bring it back. Look at the text, Luke 15 and 13, and took his journey into a far country. Her rock bottom. I'm closing with this. James J. Braddock earned his nickname Cinderella Man from a seemingly fairy tale like rise from a poor local fighter to a heavyweight boxing champion of the world. At the very same time as the stock market crash of 1929, Braddock had a hard time struggling to win fights and provide for his young family. But then on June 13, 1935, James J. Braddock completed one of the most unlikely comebacks in boxing history. As a 10 to one underdog, he defeated Max Baer for the world heavyweight title more than a year after being an unemployed boxer, a fighter, if you can imagine, with only one good hand and the wolf at the door of his home. So he was christened Cinderella Man after that 15 round slugfest. Oh, that God would hear his people's prayers for our nation, that she would see her condition come to herself and become a Cinderella country in this century. I started the message by saying, if I had the opportunity to preach one message 
to every fundamental preacher, one message to every fundamental church, one message to every fundamental Christian. If I had that opportunity to preach only one time, it would be the message that I've attempted to preach tonight because friend, just as there was a prodigal son, there is a prodigal society and what, the, what brought the prodigal son back, oh my, will also bring back a prodigal society. My prayer for a prodigal nation. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder, with every head bowed and every eye closed, who would lift their hand, main floor, balcony, balcony, main floor, who would raise their hand and say, Preacher, I know that I know, that I know, that I know. If I were to die, heaven is my eternal home. I'm saved and sure. You'd lift your hand, saved and sure. Main floor, balcony, balcony, main floor, saved and sure. You're here tonight and you couldn't raise your hand. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He was buried and rose again from the dead that you might be saved. And if you'll simply reach out in childlike faith, he will save you for time and eternity. You'd lift your hand and say, preacher, I need to be saved. I need to trust Christ. You'd lift your hand, pray for me. Pray for me. God bless you there. Pray for me. You're here tonight and as a believer, God has spoken to your heart and you'll say, preacher, you've proved your point. And I want to pray deeper. And I want to pray further for my country than I've ever prayed. And you lift your hand and say, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me, main floor, balcony, balcony, main floor, main floor, pray for me. Thank you, man. Put your hands down. You're here tonight. And I don't know, but what you might have, that stare of the far country in your eyes. And you'd say, preacher, I'm a prodigal that hasn't gotten to the far country yet. And you made me look at verse 16. And now I want to get out of verse number 13. You'd lift your hand and say, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Maybe you're here and need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Maybe you're here and need, need to unite with this church. My, if the Hamlin family, this is my third time of being in a service. And if the Hamlin family lived in this area, no question, no question. Just after three services, there's no question where we would go to church. And there's no question who our pastor would be. Now, if I can give this place that kind of recommendation, then certainly you can consider what the Holy Ghost has been saying to you for weeks, if not months, about becoming a church member. And you'd lift your hand right now and say, need to join the church, need to be baptized, need to become a part of this faith family. You'd lift your hand and say, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. We stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, thank you. The kind attention of these, my brothers and sisters. And Lord, I pray that not one in any way would grieve, resist, or quench the Holy Ghost. May this be a time of great and glorious victory. In Jesus' name, as our sister begins to play, these altars are open. Right now, would you come? My prayer for a prodigal nation. Her real bankruptcy. Her riveting blight. Her revolting buffet. Her rock bottom. It's power and prayer. If you're saved, 
somebody prayed for you. If prayer can do that, and the saving of a soul, and my brother, I believe with all of my heart, prayer can save a nation. It's not your Facebook posts. It's not your complaining to your friends and family. It's not even a political protest. But I believe with all of my heart, Brother Myers, that what will turn America around is prayer. As our sister plays, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Back in the spring of this year, I was in a revival meeting in Westminster, Maryland. I preached this message on a Sunday night. Just like tonight, Brother Myers, the folks were so attentive and so responsive and altars filled. People, people just like tonight piled on the altar like cordwood. And just as I was about to turn the service over to the pastor, it seemed like the altars had emptied. I watched as about 20 men gathered left-hand side of the pulpit, organ side, about 20 men. And I later would learn that many of those men had already been at the altar. In fact, all of them had and with their families. But 20 of those men went to the altar again and I learned after the service that they were deacons of that church. And they had an impromptu prayer meeting for America. 20 deacons on their knees. My prayer for a prodigal nation. As our sister continues to play in a moment, the pastor will come. Both heads bowed and eyes closed. I wonder who just lift their hand and say, Dr. Hamlin, from tonight till the service tomorrow morning or tomorrow night, from tonight to the service tomorrow night and from tonight all the way till I get to heaven, I'm gonna pray differently for my nation. You lift your hand. You'd lift your hand. My prayer for a prodigal nation. Pastor. 